So I was supposed to talk about uh, King Solomon this morning as we begin to look at First and Second Kings, but instead I want to pause at where we left off last week with King David. As we've been learning over the last few weeks, David was fearlessly faithful, but there were a few times when David fell short of that man after God's own heart reputation. His greatest fall is when he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And David gets her pregnant. To cover up, he basically commits murder. David has Bathsheba's husband murdered. Nathan the prophet comes to David and exposes all of that sin. And David immediately confesses. He immediately repents. And he cries out, I have sinned against God and God alone. And we looked at that story last week. You can go back. You can watch. You can listen. I told you last week that Psalm 51 was written by David. It was a song that he wrote expressing his heart of sorrow and repentance after what had happened with Bathsheba. And since all of us have sinned, amen, because all of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard, I decided last week that I would read Psalm 51 over the congregation. And what I want to do to start with this morning is I want to pause and I want to read that again. And, uh, and then I have a few things I want to encourage you with and challenge you with. And so if we could all read this actually aloud together. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. Doesn't it feel good to read the scriptures? 
If you're not consistently in the scriptures, I want to encourage you, challenge you to be. Just open them up and read them. The Psalms are very easy. They're very poetic. And every time we open them, we can relate one way or the other. Amen? My guess is, as David was writing this psalm, my guess is he was a broken mess. When we just read it, he literally writes the word broken three times in this psalm. I could imagine David barely being able to see the page because of all of his tears. Like maybe those pages were were stained with the salt water coming from his eyes. I want to share something with you that I've learned after 29 years of walking with the Lord. 23 years of pastoring. And that's this. You won't go to greater depths in the Lord until you have wept before the Lord. If you hear nothing else, that's this whole sermon in one sentence. You won't go to greater depths in the Lord until you have wept before the Lord. And if you want a title for the message, you could just write down tears of joy. That's what we'll call this this morning, tears of joy. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to some of his friends in Ephesus, and he says, man, I've been praying for you guys. I've been praying for you. I pray that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power together with all the saints to comprehend the length and the width, the height and the depth of the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You read this and you think, well, how do you experience the fullness of God? How do you experience the depth of of who he is. Well, apparently, first you have to comprehend the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ and know this love. And it says that that, that that love surpasses knowledge. Like it's one thing to have knowledge of God's love, and then it's a whole other thing to personally know his love. I mean, Jesus loves us. This we know. Right? We know that we know that we know that he loves us. But I want you to listen to me. You can know that Jesus loves you and not be rooted and grounded in that love. And never go to greater depths of that love. Not until you're able to comprehend it. That word comprehend, it it means to grasp the nature of. To grasp the significance or the meaning of something. I read, I read that definition and for some reason I think of like birthday cards or Christmas cards or some sort of card that someone gives you to honor you. You know what I'm talking about? So someone comes up to you and they give you the card. It has your name on it. And you go, oh, thank you. They love me. You know, no, oh, you love me. And you put it in your pocket or you put it in your purse. You take it home and maybe you read it later. Maybe you don't. But you know that they love you because they gave you the card. But how do you know how much they love you? 
till you open that card, right? You're not going to know how much they love you or why they love you until you read all the words and count the money. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) What I'm trying to tell you is that there has to be specifics that help you comprehend just how much they love you. What I want to tell you this weekend is what it takes to comprehend the love of God. And I'm going to give you a couple of things. There's, there's all kinds of ways we could fill in the blank on ways that we could learn to comprehend his love. But I'm going to show you two, two very specific things. And when you, when you find these two things, you experience these two things together, like they're working in tandem, they're working at the same time, you know you are on the road to comprehending the height and depth of the love of Jesus. So to truly comprehend the love of God, you must, number one, experience godly sorrow over your sin. To truly comprehend the love of God, you must experience godly sorrow over your sin. I'm not talking about just being sorry that I sinned. I mean experiencing sorrow over your sin. There is a big difference. Amen? How can you tell when it's sorrow? James chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Sometimes we read places where one of the apostles or whoever calls us sinners or, or, or indicates even that we're sinners. And the first thing we think is like, I'm out, man. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You, you hear that a lot lately, right? You try to tell something, eh, that may not be right in your life. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Listen, James ain't judging. All right? He's just calling it what it is. He's saying, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. He's just calling it out, right? He knows how we're wired. So he says, listen, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then he says, grieve, mourn, weep, turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, when you have more than just worldly sorrow, more than just, oh, sorry, I got caught but instead you have, you truly experience godly sorrow, like 100% aware of how your sin has offended the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says that godly sorrow will bring repentance. It says that worldly sorrow only brings death, but godly sorrow brings repentance. And then here in James chapter 4, he seems to say that it should be followed by tears because our heart cries out the same thing that King David's heart cried out after his failure. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out my stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sins. He says, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Who in this room has been haunted by their sins? 
I mean, every hand in this room really should go up because we all have. And we all know that feeling of trying to figure out how to get rid of it, how to get the ghosts out of our room, out of our head, right? And so we're doing all these things. We're trying to work it out. We're trying to work off like it's some sort of debt or something. I'm telling you, no amount of penance, uh, pen, how do you say that? Penance. No amount of penance, no amount of work, no amount of good deeds is going to wipe away your sin. And David knew this. And so he wrote it down so that we can know this. He says, God, you don't want a sacrifice. Otherwise, I'd offer one. He says, you don't want a greater effort or a bigger offering. What you want is for me to have a broken spirit, to have a broken and contrite or repentant heart. You want to do something to break free from that haunting torment? Grieve. Mourn. Weep. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, I'm not saying all of a sudden so-and-so becomes an Eeyore. Well, I'm just a little, uh, little closer walk with Jesus. Okay? Women don't become Debbie Downers. All of a sudden, people can't stand or be around you. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to say is that as saints, we have to become serious about the holiness of God and understand that our sin is not pleasing to the Lord. Can I get an amen? God draws near to us when we draw near to him with godly sorrow. And there's good news. There's good news for every person who will humbly and purposely do that. First John chapter 1 verse 9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like that's good news, right? That'll get you going and make a happy dance right there. That's the good stuff right there. And this that truth that he forgives us all of unrighteousness, he separates the sins from us as far as the east from is the west. This is where the comprehension of the length and width and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is where it really kicks in because this is when we experience the fullness of joy for God's forgiveness of that sin. To truly comprehend the love of God, you've got to experience godly sorrow over your sin, but you also got to experience the fullness of joy for God's forgiveness of that sin. Have you ever experienced that? You guys, have you ever experienced that? Like you confessed, you brought it before the Lord, you repented, and you know that you know that you know that you are forgiven. You can feel it. The guilt is gone. The shame of that sin is gone. You've been set free from that shame. You're no longer haunted by all those terrible things that you did. And you can just tell. Like this time, this encounter with the Lord, you can just tell. Condemnation ain't going to be able to keep you caged up this time. Like something happened. This is different. It is gone. And listen, if you have never experienced that, I'm jealous for you too. It is time for you to, it's time for you to experience the fullness of joy that comes from the forgiveness that you receive from God through the work 
of his son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? And you'll know it when you see it. Like when that happens, when you have that encounter, when you have that moment with the Lord, you're going to know it because experience the fullness of joy through the forgiveness of God. You know what it produces? Tears. In the book of Jeremiah, God speaks to the people of Israel through Jeremiah. And he says, Israel, you are about to face the consequences of your sin. You didn't see me as holy. You didn't treat me as holy. You didn't obey my word and believe that they were holy. And so something's coming. It's not going to be fun. And you read Jeremiah and you hear all about the things that are about to take place. Jeremiah is prophesying those things. But when you get to chapter 31, God reminds the people. He says, long ago, I said to you, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And then God goes on to tell Israel how after all this calamity and all this discipline is over, how he's going to restore them and how he's going to rebuild his people. And he says, when this happens, you're going to know it. Tears of joy will stream down your faces. And I will lead you home with great care. How many of you have known those moments when God has led you home with great care? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you were far away, but he found you. He freed you. Held back the waters for your release. Right? I mean, at least the day you got saved. Y'all remember that day? I mean, you should. It should be like the greatest day of your life. At least that day. I remember the day that I gave my life to Jesus. I was 19 years old, and I, my wife had been bringing me to church for a couple years, praying, Lord Jesus, save him. Save him. And one day I'm in church, and the message is there, and for some reason I became acutely aware of my sin. And they invited people to come down the aisle. And I went down the aisle because I just couldn't, I couldn't not. And I got down there and the preacher's going even more and more. And if this is who you are, if this is who you are, I'm like, stop, you're killing me. Because I knew this is who I was. And I was a blubbering mess before the Lord down there at the altar. And then there's a shift in the message and there's a shift in me. Because it moved from here's where you were to here's who you are now in Christ Jesus. And I was still a blubbering mess. But this time, they were tears of joy because of the redemptive work of the Lord. About a year later, I was all alone reading a book and I'd been struggling with things. I knew I was saved, but there was still stuff that just wasn't going away. You know what I'm talking about? It just lingers. Like, get out. And I was struggling, and I was before the Lord, and I was a blubbering mess because I knew I could be better. I knew I could do better, but I just wasn't getting any better. So I was a mess, a broken mess before the Lord. And I'm repenting, and I was truly sorry for how goofy I was being. And then there was a shift in the air. There was an awareness of the forgiveness that comes from the Lord. Still a blubbering mess, but this time they were tears of joy. Are y'all with me? These holy moments. Several years later, Melissa and I are youth pastors and the staff of the church we were at went down to a, a church conference or something down in Houston. I'll never forget this. 
One night, there was a man from Africa, African uh, evangelist that was preaching, and, and uh, he was preaching on Jephthah. I love the way he said Jephthah, Jephthah. And so he's preaching, and he said, I don't know all that he said. I don't even remember because he had me at Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. And I knew that's what I was supposed to be, but there were some things missing and keeping me from being that mighty man of valor. And I was a broken mess. They hadn't even done the altar call yet. <laughs> right? Blubbering mess. And then they did the altar call, and I am down there with a whole string of other people on my face, wailing. Such a holy moment. And then there's that shift. There's that, there's that reminder that he is faithful and just to forgive all in righteousness. And I'm now blubbering for a whole new set of reasons. Because I realized the fullness of joy that was coming from the presence of the Lord and through his forgiveness. Thanks to the work of Jesus on the cross. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. Some of you haven't felt that yet. Years later, Melissa and I are youth pastors, and we were invited to a conference up in Indianapolis, a pastor's, youth pastor's conference, big conference. And the unique thing about this conference is that the passion of Christ was about to come out. At this conference, they were going to do a um, previewing. So if you come to this conference, you get to see the passion of the Christ before the world does. We're like, cool. We heard it's going to be a good one, right? So all this conference is happening. And then the night that, um, that the passion of Christ is going to show, Melissa and I, I don't, I'm just trying to remember how we got up front. We were on the front row. We were probably those Texans who were like, we're from Texas. Let us through. You know, <laughs> so we bust through. We were on that front row, baby. I don't know how we got there. Somebody may have gotten hurt. I don't know. But we're there. And the worship was over, and it was our favorite worship leader leading worship, Martin Smith from Delirious. It was just already a holy moment. We're like, yes, Lord. And then they show the movie. And if you've seen it, you know. And the movie, last scene, goes black, and it is dead silent in that room. And it's like we were all paralyzed. We couldn't move. And then you heard it. Started with a gentle weeping, turned into louder weeping and crying, and moved from weeping and sobs to wailing and moaning. And I don't even remember getting there, but my wife and I both were on our faces on the floor. And the room is so loud with the weeping and the crying. And there's a little music going on too. Not much, because we all knew it was a holy moment. <laughs> Martin Smith was like, I ain't messing this up. Shh. And I can remember all I could say at some point, I just heard myself barely just wailing. It should have been me. It should have been me. It should have been me. In the presence of the Lord, I was so aware, just like the prophet Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't deserve everything we just watched on that screen. I'm the one who deserved every bit of that. It should have been me. And that's all I could cry out. It should have been me. It should have been me. A blubbering mess. And then Martin Smith walks up to the mic and starts singing. Majesty. Majesty. Grace has found me just as I am. 
empty-handed but alive in your hands. Majesty, majesty, forever I am changed by your love in the presence of your majesty. Majesty. And the purpose of those tears changed. Now I'm a blubbering mess because of the forgiveness that I've received. And it's amazing how simultaneously you can be experiencing godly sorrow in the fullness of joy. It's, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> And these are four examples, four of probably the biggest examples of my life. These were big moments for me. And those moments of simultaneously experiencing godly sorrow over my sin and experiencing the fullness of joy for God's forgiveness of that sin have rooted me and grounded me in the love of Christ. Each one of those moments have helped me comprehend just how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. Amen? And listen, not every moment that you have like that is going to be a face-down moment, prophet Isaiah moment. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips moment. But there should be moments, powerful encounters with the Lord when he does a fresh and deeper redemptive work in your life. Can I get an amen? Now, you may be here and you're like, Pastor Tony, I thought we were going to be talking about First Kings this morning. I thought Solomon was on the radar. Why are we even talking about this? Because at the youth conference, in a room filled with almost 4,000 kids, we had one of those moments. It's hard to describe, but the second night, powerful time of worship, amazing message of redemption and God's ability to change your life. And listen, there's always altar calls. There's always kind of a rushing of the stage, everybody trying to get to the altar. And we knew that was coming. But what we didn't know is that there was going to be a reverence involved in this one. The kids are there. The worship team's kind of playing. And that same thing happens. The holiness of God fills the room. And when the holiness of God is in the room, and I believe he's always in the room, it's really about where we're at in the room. All of a sudden, you hear the sobbing. All of a sudden, the weeping starts crying, people on their face, kids falling into other people's arms, different places in the room. This is a big room. You could hear the wailing, prayers, I'm sure confession and repentance happening because that's what happens when you're in the presence of the Lord. Don't, any, don't let anyone fool you. And say, oh, the Holy Spirit's moving, the Holy Spirit's moving. There could be all kinds of stuff happening in the room, crazy stuff. But let me tell you, if repentance ain't happening, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. You with me? That was for free. And it was one of those moments. And so Melissa and I are just, wow, 
praying, supporting, and we really didn't know what was happening with our kids because everybody's backs turned to you, and there's a lot of kids. When that moment was over and the minister kind of released the kids to go back to their seat, all of a sudden now we can see the faces of our kids coming back to where we were at. There were lots of tears. Some people looked like they had just been hit in the face with a baseball bat. They had so many tears. They were red and puffy. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love that Gateway Church opened up their house. They opened up their house. They made room for God to move. They created space where students could come and be set free from the shame that they've been experiencing, the shame that's been holding them back. And let me tell you, every kid there needed that space. I believe that some kids came hoping for that space. They were ready to go because they were ready to let go. Ready to let God do a fresh and redemptive work. This morning, I want to I want to create that space here. So I want to ask you to close your eyes. If you just close your eyes and try not to fidget and move too much. I just want us to create space for the Lord to do something unique this morning. And I believe he will. I do believe it depends upon where our heart is, what we're after in life. Maybe recently something was exposed in your life. Do you have a godly sorrow over that? Or are you sorry you got caught? My prayer is that there would be an understanding of what godly sorrow can produce. Because godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, can bring the fullness of joy because God is faithful and just to forgive.